Allô, bienvenue à NPR Planète l'Argent. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum in New York City. And I'm Adam Davidson in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. This is the podcast for Friday, February 5th, but we're recording it on Thursday because Adam's in Haiti. And to be honest, it's hard to get access to a good phone line down there right now. Hey, Adam, do you have, a, do you have an indicator for us? I do. I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> right. The indicator is 50. What's 50? The on-the-street lotto number. If you get the first number right, you get 50 to 1. 500 gourds for 10 gourds. I heard that in your, uh, in your conversation with All Things Considered, that the lotto industry there is, is enormous. That was surprising to me. Someone told me that it is the largest domestic industry in Haiti. I'm not sure if that's quite true, but I would guess that a really significant percentage of the money in this country goes through these very tiny, unlicensed little shacks that sell lottery tickets. Okay, let's get back to the lottery industry in a minute. Um, what's, it, what's it like down there in Haiti right now? It, I mean, as you can imagine, it is, it is so overwhelming. I, you're sort of overwhelmed with these contradictory images. I mean, I have to say, like, one of the first things that struck me is how vibrant this city is economically. I mean, there's just shops are open. There are people on the street selling food, selling socks, selling like paintings and sculpture and all the, all this stuff. And uh, we've been meeting with these high-end business people from, you know, who own textile factories and mango processing plants. And you can almost lull yourself into thinking this is like a functioning modern economy. This is, you know, there's a lot going on. It's a poor place, but it's you know, if, if if you stay in some of the more prosperous parts of the city, you're, it, it's actually shocking. We're staying in a hotel. I mean, it's not the nicest hotel in the world, but it's pretty decent. But then you go farther down the hill. I mean, basically, Port-au-Prince is like a bowl. And the farther up you are in the mountains, the nicer it is generally and the less affected by the earthquake it was. As you go farther down, you just see, you know, like like an entire city has just been crushed. It is absolutely gone. And you do have a sense of just how desperately poor this place was even before the earthquake. So it's um, this little fantasy you can have that this is an economically working place sort of collapses as you go down into the bowl and you see just miles of tent cities and destroyed homes and you smell the smell of death. It's pretty awful. You always talk about how, you know, the first days in a country you see all these things that later that seem incredible to you but later become invisible. And, and obviously, you know, what you're going to see is the consequences of the earthquake there. But, but are there other things that stand out? Well, first of all, it is like the most crowded city I've ever seen. Just everywhere you are, there's so many people out on the streets. Traffic is insane. You can just never go anywhere. It just takes so long to get anywhere. And there's just so much stuff going on, people carrying things and, you know, talking to each other and trading business. But our, the people who are driving us around and our translator keep telling us, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. Since the earthquake, there's no traffic. There's nobody oh, out on the streets. It's not as bad. And, 
It's not as bad. I mean, we were on this block and there was just so many people. And I was like, if this block was in New York City, it would be the most crowded New York City had ever been. And they were like, no, this is nothing. This is nothing. Um, Besides those people on the street, what is the Haitian economy? I mean, I know it's hard to measure because the government doesn't really collect statistics and stuff. But what do we think the major parts of the economy are? You know, well over half of the country's economy seems to be remittances from abroad. Um, so people, people in the United States, most Miami, of the, and New York and stuff sending money home, right? Exactly. People in Miami and New York, over a billion dollars a year sent home to their mothers, children, cousins. That's something like 50 or 60 percent of the economy, as I understand it. Um, wow. That, that mo- makes it seem like almost um, – that makes it seem like it's like uh, – like some extension of the United States, you know, like some bedroom community or something where everyone goes to work and sends the money home and not much happens there. Well, that's exactly it. And then the other biggest chunk of the economy is aid from the United States so, and, and from other international groups, but the U.S. being the leading one. So, so you have the, the biggest sector being remittances. Then you have aid. Then you have bare subsistence agriculture, you know, people scratching out just you know, barely enough calories to stay alive. And then you have this really, really tiny, like 7% of the economy, which is industries that make stuff and export them. And by make stuff, I mean, that's kind of pushing it. Like there, there's a textile industry here. And a lot of people see that as the biggest potential growth sector. But really what they do is Companies like Hanes or Levi's or New Balance or whatever has their T-shirts and shorts. Someone else somewhere else makes the fabric, cuts the fabric, designs the clothes, and then they just ship them to Haiti. They go like 10 miles from the port to the industrial park. Haitians sew them into shape and then ship them back out. And there's so little value added. There's so little addition uh, that they make that they can profit from. We were in Dominican Republic earlier this week, and we were at some some textile plants. And the owner of the textile plant was explaining that when he started the business in 1984, that's all they did in the Dominican Republic. And only the Dominican Republic only did very low wage, very low value added labor sewing T-shirts. But today they have t-shirt designers, they have people, you know, sort of creating the whole t-shirt for Dillard's and Walmart and whoever else. Um, So he said, well, we were there in 1984, so maybe Haiti could be there, be where we are now, 20 years from now, making more money, having more value. But then we met with this Haitian businessman who owns an apparel factory, and he said, yeah, that guy said that, but I've been in business 10 years longer than him, and we have not progressed at all. We are where he was 25 years ago. And why is it that Haiti has had s- such a hard time, so much harder than the Dominican Republic, which is right, right, right there over the border? Yeah, I mean, that's so striking. The Dominican Republic and Haiti share this big island. We had a really interesting talk about how, you know, 200 years ago, Haiti was far better off than the Dominican Republic. Haiti was the jewel of the Caribbean. You know, they had made a fortune in sugar exports. And Dominican Republic was this forgotten corner of the Spanish Empire. Even in the 1930s, people were telling us how the 
well, the dictator, the president Trujillo of Dominican Republic came to Haiti in the 1930s and went back home and gave a speech about how one day by 1960, Dominican Republic could begin to be as prosperous as Haiti. Now, even in the past, when Haiti was prosperous, it was a tiny elite of white and mixed race who had their wealth from exploiting, you know, a massive population of, um, you know, of basically the descendants of African slaves. And the Dominican Republic certainly had a slave population, certainly has a lot of the same racial dynamics, but I don't think it was quite as, you know, this one tiny little elite ruling over such a broad group. So, so the thing that we are now exploring, and, and frankly, David, we're not quite there yet. We are hoping to have a really nice Planet Money story about it. But the Dominican Republic in the 60s and 70s and 80s and through to today, not that it's the greatest government in the world. You know, there's a lot, a lot of problems with their government. They've gone through their fair share of really nasty times. But they tweaked the economy enough to make it to make the benefits more broad based. The Dominican Republic certainly has very poor people, but but there was economic growth that was geared towards helping a broader number of people. Haiti has not really had that. Um, there's a lot of- I was tra- reading Haiti has, has an enormous income disparity. Some huge part of the GDP is concentrated in like 10% of the population. And according to the World Bank, when you're that unequal, when you have such a tiny elite controlling so much wealth and the vast majority having so little, any additional growth is unlikely to benefit those poorest people because they're just not part of the growing economy. Now, I, I do want to say, so Han and I met with Georges Sassine, who owns an apparel factory and is the head of the Manufacturers Association. I mean, you know, first impressions, what a good guy, what a noble, decent man who really persuaded us that he is here trying to build the apparel sector he has this dream, this powerful dream, that at some point soon, Haiti will employ 100,000 to 150,000 apparel workers. And he says, each one of those apparel workers will support a family of five or six or eight people. So you could have a million people around this country. Okay, they're not living anywhere near what we would consider even poor in the U.S. They're living, instead of living at 70 cents a day, they'll be living at $3 a day. But that is a transformative experience in their lives. Those are the kind of dreams that the dreamers have. And I spent the morning, the the president and the prime minister, basically the entire government, you know, every government building was destroyed. The presidential palace was destroyed. So they're meeting in this police station And so I went to the police station this morning because I heard there was a meeting of the leading business people of Haiti. Um, So I get there and it's kind of a zoo because those Christian missionaries who either adopted or kidnapped 33 kids were in prison next door to where the president and the prime minister are. And actually, while I was there, I, I saw them being taken out and all the press was there taking pictures and but nobody was paying attention to this other meeting that was going on, this private sector meeting. And what? And I actually, I'll be honest, I snuck into the meeting for a minute before I got kicked out. And it was in this tiny little room, like 
you know Amy's office in, <laughs> yeah. in our office? It, it was like just maybe a notch bigger than that. And it just, it just struck me that Haiti's president can call a meeting of the entire leadership of the private sector of Haiti and hold it in a really tiny room, like a room that the tiny Planet Money staff would find crowded. And, and that gives you a sense of, of how minimal this, um, this group is. Now, everyone walked out of that room saying this is the first time in Haitian history that the government and the private sector have agreed to work together for the betterment of Haiti. There's a lot of talk like that these days. And, you know, that's what we're hoping to follow for the coming years, you know, hold them to that, see if it's true. You know, it, 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 right now it, it's, it's a lot of talk like that. Yes, we are going to work together. We're going to make this better for all Haitians. It, it, see, it seems like, uh, you know, some large part of Haiti is basically starting from scratch after the earthquake. Is there some way in which that's also an opportunity there's, that there's some, there could be something good out of that? The roads here are a mess. They're so crowded, and they were, you know, there was no real city planning in Port-au-Prince. And you have buildings right up next to the roads. The roads, you know, maybe here and there you have a two-way road, but that's a stretch. Um, you don't have any, as far as I can tell, three-way or, f- you know, three-lane or four-lane roads. And that makes trucking really hard. It makes traffic really awful. So that, you know, you get to start over. You get to, um, you get to rebuild everything. And with that, you get to rebuild the economy. Um, There's a meeting of some of the leading private sector folks before the president's meeting today. And what someone said is, all right, so what we need to do is in the next month, do what Haiti failed to do for the last 200 years. But we think we can do it. So there's a lot of talk about how, yes, now, finally, we can make this happen. I mean, there are examples of that. I mean, Indonesia, after the tsunami, you know, two and a half years later, rebuilt a lot of stuff. But they had a strong government. So I don't know. And they have this other whole country to support that activity. I mean, here you have basically the entire productive part of the country destroyed. So it's they, they have nothing. They don't have Jakarta or Bali or anything else to rely on. But all right. Before we let you go, I want to get back to the lottery for a minute, our Planet Money indicator. Why, why did you choose that as the indicator? Are these lotto stores really on every corner? They are everywhere. One thing Hanna really likes is some of them are called bank. They're, that's the bank, so it's like Frank's bank, Jean's bank. Um, and I went to one, and i got to be honest, I don't fully understand it still because it's really complicated. But the basic idea is... Each of these lottery outlets, and by the way, some of them are just a guy who opened it up. Some of them are franchises, like the Saint-Jean franchise has something like 25 offices or little stands all over the city. And um, the Saint-Jean is based on the New York daily number, the New York pick three lotto number. And this guy said to me that at Saint-Jean headquarters, they have... Six TVs turned to various channels through satellites in New York, so they'll make sure to catch the number the second it's revealed. <laughs> Can I ask, they do that because people say, hey, New York, you know, and it's sort of a marketing thing, or they do that because they trust the 
lottery people in New York to do a fair job of randomly picking a number and therefore yeah they would never trust <laughs> there's no possible way they would <laughs> hey, trust pick the number oh my brother got it again sorry right yeah they would never trust the Haitian government or a Haitian business to pick the numbers so New York it's like okay there's no chance some Haitian guy is gonna mess with that number although this is a country with a lot of conspiracy theories so I bet someone sometime has said oh I bet you know I bet Preval, the president of Haiti, messed with the New York lottery number or something. So they told me that, you know, most people win a few dollars, um, but you can win thousands. And, you know, it's, it's mainly for the very poor. So these are people, you know, who make $2 a day, maybe $3 a day, who are maybe gambling 50 cents a day and very, very, very rarely making a lot of money back. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's roughly similar to the lottery system in the U.S. Um, I found it worth noting that they said business, the, the lottery guys I talked to today said business has collapsed since the earthquake. He showed me his stack of receipts and he had 12 bettors that day, today. And I have to admit for full disclosure, I am one of them. I put 10 gourds on zero, zero, and I can make 500 gourds back, which is, I, I mean, I bet, I'm trying to do the numbers of my, I think I bet 20 cents and I could make $10, something like that. I didn't do it exactly right, but that's rough numbers. But he said before he would have thousands of people every day. So, I mean, I got to be honest, that was at that's least heartening to me. I think it, people are using their money in a better way than they would normally. That is harsh, though, then uh, not even the guy running the lotteries is making money now. Yeah. And, and all the big businessmen who are saying maybe this will be good news in the long run. You know, they, they all know we're in for a long, long slog in the short run. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. Oh.